As long as you can hear me. Sam, yes, I can. Very good. It's a very good thing. Right. Let us find Yutifra. Oh, not working again. I don't understand why it works and then 10 seconds later it doesn't work and then 10 seconds later it works. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. What uh, state are you in at this moment? Are you in Illinois? I am in Illinois. I'm just driving. Oh, nice, mashallah. <laughs> mm. And I am again forgetting where we left off. Let me check. I mean, make sure you don't crash. Omar, are you in your office? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Are you like some? <laughs> I'm on the clock doing this. <laughs> are, are you somewhere in the, the back of O'Hare? No, I'm actually upstairs in the, you know, when you check in, there's like a mezzanine level upstairs. Oh. Uh, the ticket counters, I'm in one of those levels. Well, cool. Yeah. Yeah, alhamdulillah, it worked out for me because on Mondays, I'm um, I'm managing the ticket counter area so I can do this. If I was in the back in the gates, which I am on like Tuesdays to Thursdays, I wouldn't be able to. Uh -huh. Nice. Yeah, we stopped at um, something that says like, then we are saying insane then we're wrong insane got it okay okay all righty let me close all these other windows okay can you see my uh screen yes okay very good Okay, first and foremost, uh, Fezan gave me the gift on behalf of you all. Uh, that was like not just generous, it was like so shockingly generous. Uh, you all know you didn't have to do that, but I greatly appreciate it. That was very, very kind. And I was very, very surprised and touched. <laughs> and bruh, it was a lot of money. So, mashallah. Uh, 
what was also the more weird um one of the treatments like uh, if you need money is to recite surtal wakia and i did it a couple years ago and literally uh almost immediately i developed like two separate streams of income yeah. and then uh a week ago i started reciting it again and then Fezan comes to the office with the gift from you all. Like, that's literally <laughs> the chronology. So. Wow. SubhanAllah. That's, uh... You said Surah Waqiyah is what you recite? Yeah. Okay, time to take some notes. <laughs> time to just recite Surah Waqiyah uh, for the whole hour on Monday. <laughs> like, uh, when I did that, you know, a couple of years ago, with these other streams coming in, I actually got scared. Like, I stopped. Because... I was literally getting like mashallah this abundance of wealth that now is going to be responsible for. And I was like, oh no. Okay. You know, like be careful what you ask for. So so I, I missed the beginning. What surah do I need to recite for money? I was saying no, I was saying thank you to you all for 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 the, the generous gift. Oh okay. And then I was also saying that uh Surtal Wakia you recite when you are seeking or in need of money. And two years ago, I did it, and suddenly, literally, I mean, I don't remember how small was the time period in between me reciting and then two separate streams of income started. And then I recited again. Um, Fezan, what day did you come to the office? Uh, I think it was... Uh... Was it Monday or Tuesday last week? Yeah, it was one of those two days. And I think it was either the day before or Sunday, or both of those might be the same answer, that I started reciting it again. And then, bam. You know, I was like, wow, subhanAllah, this is scary. Yeah. All righty. But once again, yeah, thank you to all of you gentlemen for your kindness. So we are in this place in... Uh, and our Euthyphro, believe it or not, we're finally approaching the end. Oh, great, now I just lost the place. Uh, <laughs> where were we? I just I lost the place. I think, uh, right here. Okay, so let's see. How about uh, Abdullahi? How about if you're Socrates? And Adnan, how about if you are Euthyphro? So we'll start right here. Okay. Uh, then we are wrong in saying that where there is fear, there is also reverence. And we should say where there is reverence, there is also fear. But there's not always reverence where there is fear, for fear is a more extended notion and reverence is a part of fear. Just as the odd is a part of a number, and a number is a more extended notion than the odd. I suppose that you follow me now. Did we speak uh, last time about fear and hope? Or the relationship between the two? Anybody remember? Uh, we might have touched on it, but I don't know if we went into it. Okay. So what is the relationship between fear and hope? How would you all answer that question? Uh, when it comes to what specifically? In general. Uh, I would say things, bad things. Yeah, I would say um, it needs to be somewhere in the middle. Like you gotta have hope, but you also have to have fear. 
Okay. But I think having, uh, you know, too much fear can be crippling, and okay. also having too much hope can also, in a way, be crippling. Okay. Um, I think it was Ali radiAllahu anh that said, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, uh, that he doesn't get too high when things are going really well. He doesn't get too low when things are going bad. So I think kind of having that balance. Mm-hmm. All right. Any thoughts, any reflections on fear and hope? Uh, I was, I think, I remember way back when, uh, when we were younger in our YM study circle days, some, I forget who taught this to us, but um, we used the image of a bird. I think it was from, the original source was maybe Ibn Qayyim, that fear and hope are like, they're like the two wings of a believer and you need them both to be able to fly correctly. Okay. So a point to consider, I mean, not contradicting the points you both made, is that fear and hope are the same thing. Just two different ends of the spectrum. Fear is, I don't want this to happen, but it might. Hope is, I want this to happen, but it might not. And so now imagine a spectrum. One side is more fear. The other side is more hope. Fear always contains an amount of hope in it. Because uh, fear is, or hope is, I want this to happen. I hope this will happen. I fear it will not. And fear always contains hope. Fear is, I don't want this to happen. Uh, so I fear it will happen. I hope it will not. Make sense? So if that makes sense, then what would you call fear with no hope? Uh, despair? Despair. Then it's no longer fear. You've given up. That's the easier question. The harder question, what would you call hope with no fear? Christianity. <laughs> uh, Catholic I, church grad. I, yeah, yeah. I can't think of an English word, but uh, the Urdu word, like maybe, um, you know, the word musty comes to mind. The idea that where you're like just completely carefree because you're just so full of mm-hmm. like, you know, that everything's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Could it, um, wouldn't you say it's almost foolish at some level? Can be depends on the thing, like uh, beyond like God, just like sometimes I think you need a little bit of fear. Like, uh, if even if it's work or if it's like a project, like sometimes I think if you just are overly hopeful about a certain outcome, uh, but you don't have the fear or the drive to do anything, it can backfire on you, okay. So that could be a consequence. I'd suggest certainty. Certainty is hope with no fear. Mm. Despair is fear with no hope. Now, certainty, depending on the thing, can result in carefreeness, can result in foolhardy behavior. Yes. Make sense? So... Now, when we speak of the day of judgment, 
when you imagine your accounting, which should you have more of? Hope, naturally. Hope. A balance of the two. You should have fear for all your sins, and you should have hope for all of your good. You should have fear for all the times you did not seek forgiveness and hope for all the times you did seek forgiveness. To the point that if you can truly reach a point of exact balance between the two, in the context of the Akhira, that is taqwa. In the context of dunya, you have taqwa when you have consciousness of Allah and you're guarding yourself, right? Like when you're fasting. But in terms of your akhira, taqwa is to have a balance of hope and fear. Now, when we think of what Allah has planned for us in dunya, so let's say hypothetically you're to live for another 40 years, 50 years, whatever Allah has planned for you, which should you have more of? Hope. Just, just hope for everything. Okay, so yeah. So um, you should have more hope than fear because of the repetition of the rahmah of Allah when he speaks about, you know, all he does for us. Third scenario. Scenario one, your day of judgment. Scenario two, what Allah has planned, what has Allah has written for you. Now, keep in mind, you should have more hope than fear, but there should also be fear, right? There's definitely going to be struggle. Third scenario, what should be your default in terms of how you will respond to all that Allah is giving you. So now it's pointing the finger at yourself. Could you repeat that, please? Okay. You're def- oh, sorry. Go on. Okay. So, so basically, in terms of what Allah has planned for me in dunya, mm-hmm. my default should be fear, should be hope over fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In response to how, in uh, consider in uh, in terms of how I am responding to what Allah has planned for me in terms of how I'm responding to what Allah is giving me over the course of the future of my life, which should I have more of hope or fear about myself? Maybe fear then just because of mm-hmm. your, you're just being given so much, but it, you know, it might be that you're not uh, living up to what you've been given. Exactly. That's exactly it. Right. So in terms of my akhira, me standing before Allah, like as I'm thinking about it right now, February, blah, blah, blah of 2023, and I'm imagining my akhira, I should have a balance of fear and hope. At this moment, February 2023, when I'm imagining the future of my life before my death, what Allah has written for me, what he has scheduled for me, I should have more hope than fear. But when I'm looking at my life, my dunya, in terms of how I will respond to what Allah is going to have scheduled for me, I should have more fear than hope. Okay, makes sense. And feel free to push back if it doesn't make sense or if you have any counter thoughts and such. Think of these as defaults. Yeah, go ahead, Omar. Could you frame this? Maybe I'm getting a little too over over my head here, but could you frame the, the outlooks that you spoke of when it comes to dunya? like almost like if you could um get them down to like the base levels right is is past and future because past is what you've been given 
So you, you're kind of worried that, um, like, hey, am I, did I live up to what I've been given? And then, I think it could apply the same way. Say that again, please. I think that could apply the same way. Mm. You know, uh, I mean, so the fundamental point is that the number of rahmas Allah has poured into my life is more than infinity. Mm. I might notice 10 of them. Mm. I might notice 50 of them, but it's mm. literally infinity. Yeah. And and so will I ever be grateful to the degree of his generosity? No, it's impossible. Yeah. But will I be grateful to the degree that I'm capable of? I should have fear that I'm going to fall short. Make sense? Yep. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, Fazan. Um, so I wanted to ask, how do we, like, how how to apply this in terms of, um, you mentioned something before a few weeks ago uh, about the feeling that we have when we're doing a good deed versus yeah. doing a sin and then how we feel afterwards uh-huh. and how that is, is quite different. But in, in terms of fear and hope, um, is there any advice around um because uh, based on what we talked about last time i'm trying more to push myself to feel good about doing the, the good things in the moment and feel bad about the bad things in the moment versus like the afterwards effect and okay. i feel like that's kind of driving my behavior in a good way um, okay, is there something around fear? i think so yeah i mean that's okay. that's what i've noticed so far and okay. i'm uh, trying to get a frame of reference around fear and hope in terms of our good deeds because we always sure. have the hope that um, Allah subhanahu is going to accept this. We have the fear that it's deficient. So kind of like any, any advice on yeah. that front? Okay. So is it a guarantee that you're going to be hit with struggle in your life? Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Guarantee. Uh, but will the struggle, unless the struggle is designed to lead to your death, like a mortal illness, a terminal illness, is the struggle going to destroy your life? No. Most likely no. No. Right. Meaning Allah is never going to give you. And of course, what does it mean to destroy your life? Essentially, what I'm saying is that every struggle Allah gives you, no matter how painful it is, you can survive it. Okay. And so what should this be a treatment for? Anxiety. So... Uh, one of, if we were to list like the top five most common issues that students come to my office with, uh, top two, top three, but definitely top five is anxiety. And and so for a lot of students, they might have never failed at anything in life. So that alone is terrifying for them, the thought of failure. Um, or that their life is just going to be horribly bad. So they're so afraid to make decisions, they want someone else to make decisions for them. Right. But if your default for your future is hope, we're basically saying no matter how bad life gets, somewhere in there, there's a path. And that's the ayah, isn't it, uh, near the beginning of Surah Al-Talaq? That if you keep seeking forgiveness from Allah, Allah is going to give you a way from where you weren't expecting. Make sense? Yeah. Just, I think just, that's pretty powerful, um, and uh, it, it's. I'm, I'm, I was going to ask you about that as well in terms of uh, is it yes. that I, yeah. um, 
What's what's the number of that aisle? Um, it's probably the aisle one. Uh, yeah. Two. Two? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Where is it? Why don't I see it? It's right there. I'll find a way out for you. Don't worry. You'll find it. Ah, here it is. Yeah, yeah. There, right here. Yeah. So here's whoever has a fear, whoever has taqwa. Uh, but there is also an ayah that if you keep uh, seeking forgiveness from Allah, same thing. But this is the, actually the ayah I was thinking, but I was misquoting. Yes. So the point being, in this context, we're speaking about what seems to be an irresolvable case in terms of a marriage situation. But as a general principle, no matter what situation you are in, in this context, if you have taqwa, in another context, I'll define it. If you keep seeking the forgiveness of Allah, Allah will give you a way out from where you were not expecting. Oh, yeah. Boom. <laughs> nice. so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting you mentioned that. I'd be curious to hear what the other top items are that you see in your office as well, because um, I mean, I've noticed a trend, at least for me speaking with youth in terms of the anxiety. Um, and yeah. a lot of times they, unless they're talking to somebody who's also understands that, uh, they feel like they get shut out many times. Like if they talk to their parents or something, yeah. they feel you like- You have to pray more, yeah. Yeah, their parents will tell them something generic or they'll just tell me, you know, turn off this feeling or whatever, you know, that you're that you're going through. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard for me to relate to as well. Um, I'm seeing it more and more as I'm dealing with my children because uh, they'll get anxiety over, over things that I feel like they shouldn't, but then I'm, I'm starting to understand that. Um, and I feel like um, even this last Friday, there was a YM, um, Saturday, there was a YM barbecue and three out of the three people that I talked to, they were all talking about anxiety to a certain extent. So yeah. I wonder what the other, the other. So uh, others on my list are depression, right? Uh, uh, another is why do I need religion? Right. Before it used to be the attempts to try to reconcile some theological issues. Why do we have suffering? How do you reconcile free will predestination? Those questions are not are there still. Not as much as why do I need religion? What's it going to give me? And of course, pornography. Right. But then for each of these things, think of everything that's involved. Uh, Part of what's related to anxiety, like I said, is the fear of failure. It's the fear of making the wrong choice. and fundamentally, what is it saying? That people don't know how life operates. You know, like I tell students that if you literally count all the different things in my life that I failed at, uh, I failed at way more things in my life than many of my peers have, and much all for them, but also much all for me. And thus, as a consequence, I'm a lot more comfortable in my skin because of it, right? Because I'm still in one piece, right? And so, so... The point I have to make to them is that, all right, you made it through 20 years in one piece. Inshallah, you're going to make it through another 20 years. And so I had to reach a point many years ago where I was able to say to myself, you know, no matter how much anxiety I was having was that, okay, life goes on. Whatever happens, life goes on. No matter how rough life gets, life goes on, you know. And so you will have periods of darkness, some of which might last a long time. But life goes on. Right. 
And built into this, I always quote this uh, on the Sopranos TV show, not the best TV show to quote in a philosophy class in Islam, but um, uh, Tony Soprano, mobster, is having a conversation with this, she was like a housekeeper in his house from like Eastern Europe, right? And then he asks her, why is it that you always seem so happy and you're like missing a leg and your life is so ridiculously rough and I'm always miserable? And she said something like, Americans are always expecting paradise and we're always expecting hell. Right? That part of the American experience, more than most of us might realize about ourselves, is we believe we deserve paradise. I don't think anybody in this room would say we deserve paradise. I don't think anybody in this room would even say we deserve ease. But that is part of the American psychology that I suggest all of us may more than our real more than we realize, including myself, may have drunk some of that Kool-Aid. Right. But the young people, especially. And then what else is contributing to the anxiety? Just think about how much you get bombarded if you're watching TikTok alone, a video every seven seconds. That alone, think about how much you have to, how much brain power you have to use to switch to a video to another video to another video to another video. That's like, I think that would be more exhausting. Watching TikTok for an hour would be more exhausting than rush hour traffic for an hour, where you got to use your full attention for rush hour. Right. Depression, part of that is also just this fleeting sense of what's the point of life. So related to why do I need religion is for a lot of people, it's what's the point of all this. And so suicide becomes less big of a thing. Especially if you are, if you can give yourself the feeling, the excuse that what's on the other side of suicide is not that big, not that big a deal. If, however, you feel that, okay, what's on the other side of suicide is horrendous pain, a thousand times more than whatever I'm experiencing here, then your psychology is going to change. It's not going to cure the ideation, but it will curb some of it. So I'm saying built into this, and I think it is also directly related to just the sheer amount of screens that we watch is a decreased notion of the value of your, the significance and value of your own life, your own worth. Other things uh, that go hand in hand with being part of being uh, a minority, some of you probably heard this from me, is that, okay, think of the standard American as what? What's the demographic of the default American? And every single time I've asked this question to eight-year-olds, they've all answered the same thing. White, blonde hair, blue eyes, right? And I'm saying this is, I've even asked this to kids whose whole intellectual life, Obama was the president, blonde hair, blue eyes. And this is what every kid says, right? Or they'll just say somebody white. I'm talking about every Desi, every Arab kid. Now, if we take that as the mythological default, uh, white, blonde hair, blue eyes, tall, you know, fit, rich, dominant, heterosexual, Christian, Protestant, et cetera, et cetera. Each element of that that you are not, society is telling you that you're the problem, not the ideal. So essentially, what is the polar opposite of that in American culture? It's the black woman. Right. And so in terms of the mythology of America, Until recently, you can say in pop culture, Beyonce, Rihanna, and all those, 
but still it's the african-american woman's at the bottom okay. but in general women are still below men in terms of our distance from that model and part of this difference also is that men are conditioned that if you see some ideal man you'll probably have some admiration like if you see a guy who's shredded you're probably gonna have some admiration for him maybe even think oh yeah i could be like him someday but if a woman sees someone who is like this ideal she's being told to hate herself in terms of just how pop culture operates i don't know if this is a default masculine feminine thing but this is definitely american culture you know so among the women uh i'll have a lot more self-harm cutting burning pulling hair out i got one student who literally calls it slicing and dicing like literally she'll come to the office and she'll say yeah i'm going through all this stress and i just think about slicing and dicing and then i feel better right and uh and then another common issue that is new for me this school year is male body dysmorphia right so we all get women having body dysmorphia right you know i feel like i'm too fat i feel like i'm out of shape you know etc i don't you know my body parts are not the right proportion so forth and so on uh, i get a lot of men probably a third of uh my msa men have various degrees of body dysmorphia so, and i think the vast majority of this is a a combination of what they're being fed through social media and the lack of validation and empowerment that they're getting from their parents because the parents don't know to give this to them make sense like if you just take that combination you can probably figure out a whole lot of a common 20 year old's mind Go i was on. just gonna mention uh, oh Ali. yeah sorry uh, yeah i was just gonna mention what role uh would do the parents play in all this because i feel like um i feel like a good chunk is, uh, can be avoided if parents kind of provide some kind of like i don't know like healthy safe environment or, or you know some kind of healthy validation and yeah. you know, some kind of you know they, in other words they just wouldn't feel so so like they wouldn't be as worried about what the world uh is mm -hmm. you know if they had that yeah, I, th I think absolutely the primary antidote is going to come from the parents, secondarily from the community. But most parents don't know to give this and they don't know how to give this, right? I can say all this because I'm literally talking to 20-year-olds, meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, right? Now going on for years and years. Uh, had I not had this job, I probably would not even know all this. Yeah, even though it's common sense, isn't it? You know, it sounds like common sense and and yeah i mean so essentially as a father the more comfortable you are in your skin the more your child will recognize that you are comfortable in your skin the more consistent you are in your behavior the more your child will recognize that you're consistent in your behavior and the opposite is equally true the more you are inconsistent in your behavior, your child's going to see it all the way we see in our parents. And the more you seem uncomfortable in your skin, your child is going to inherit that and internalize it. 
And that might translate as self-loathing, you know. And then on top of that, so that's just you as a person. You know? uh, but then on top of that, what are you giving your child verbally, physically, and such? So wealth is not going to give you much. But the language of comfort, you know, and I mean, I think I've shared this before, that your child, no matter what age, should be able to figure out a logic. I'm getting reprimanded to this degree because I did this. I'm getting reprimanded even harder to this degree because I did this worst thing. I'm getting praise. The child should be able to figure out a logic because I did this. I'm getting praise even harder because I did this bigger thing. If that logic is clear, then inshallah, your child is going to have a balanced sense of things. Okay. And then think of the opposite. If the child can't make a logic, I am being punished. I don't understand why. Then eventually the child is going to think there's something wrong with me. Or I am being praised. I don't understand why. There's something special about me. And this is also the issue, right? If you're coming from a generation where all the parents are critical, then you're going to overcompensate by, by compassion. So. And so there should that logic should be easy to develop in the child's mind. Make sense? Again, easier said than done, but with practice, it is it does get easier. And and literally, you can tell the difference. You know, in terms of the students who come to my office, those who have a healthy relationship with at least one parent, they're a different species of human being. Right. They have a certain type of respect that is different. They have a certain certain type of command of respect from their peers that is different. They have a comfort in themselves if it's a good relationship with one parent. So that is not uncommon to find someone who has a good relationship with one parent. When they have two parents, then it's even different. Then it's just, it's like, wow. Any thoughts, questions, reflections? I have a reflection. I'm afraid of having children now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit um, more of a specific situation, but I'm actually, I have a situation because I'm so basically my house is like the first house at the end of the. It's not about me, don't worry. I'm. I'll explain. I'm. I'm the first house um, on the street, um, kind of a major street in the in the uh, western suburbs, Finley. And oh, you're on Finley. Yeah. So, and there's a bus, there's a bus stop, right? Oh. Um, and my house is like right in front of the bus stop. So uh, I, I think Adnan and a couple of other people, uh, I've shared this with them and I don't really know how to approach it, but basically there is a, a girl who in the morning, um, right before she jumps onto the bus, she comes into my driveway, takes off her hijab, oh. put, put, puts it into her backpack and then, you know, jumps onto the bus. So I was talking to my wife and I was asking her, do you think that it's a bullying situation or do you think it's a parent situation, right? Because um, either she's, she's, she doesn't want to do it at home, right? And she doesn't want anyone to see at home. But then once she jumps onto the bus, she, you know, maybe it's someone else there. So 
I haven't approached it yet, but it's literally been going on for two weeks. So I told Rabi, I'm like, dude, you have to do this. Like, I'm there's no way, I, <laughs> there's no way I'm gonna talk to this girl and tell her that you know there's a there's whatever space that's available. But at the end of the day, you see that there's there's probably fear at home or there's fear at school where it's like, hey, you know, if I'm wearing a hijab and I'm good getting into the bus. I'm going to get bullied or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Um, or it could be just the, exactly the opposite. It could be the home life. It's like maybe maybe they're doing it just as a as like a tradition and things like that. So I haven't done anything about it yet, but every single morning I think about it. I'm like, man, like I want to I want to say something, but I just don't know what to say. Huh. So my experience here is. It seems like it's never a case of bullying, but this is a college campus, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think she's like a high school student. Yeah, high school is going to be different. Uh, but I mean, think of a girl who takes off her niqab every single time as soon as she she gets on like the CTA, right? And uh, and then her sister moved out, and her sister's rebellion was to wear jeans under her her jilbab. Mm. Right? And then remove the jilbab so she has jeans. Um, so, do you know who the parents are? I don't. Okay. But uh, I know that she's of Daisy descent. I mean, she looks very, you know, Daisy, but um, there's other people that are in her class, but I mean, they they all lived on the block, right? So I know the neighbors, all of them, you know, so they're. I mean, it's it's very easy to pinpoint. Yeah. You could kind of figure out who the parents are, but mm -hmm. then again, if you get too involved in something like this, like I'm just you know a neighbor, right? I'm not <laughs> I'm yeah. not anyone else. So if you get too involved, you could be like, oh hey, like why are you in my life and why are you doing this? And <laughs> I mean, one possibility if if Bobby is interested in something long term is when the weather is getting warmer, mm -hmm. you know sit out there in a lawn chair <laughs> and then get into a conversation with each person with the intention of getting into a conversation with her mm. and start developing that relationship. If she's about, up for it. Yeah, 7.02 a.m. Is, is a little bit rough. Well, that's, that's why I'm saying like, you know, <laughs> toward the end of the school year when it's much warmer. So like, you know, May, June, you know. Yeah, so, so one other thing, the reason why this actually started is because I have an old BMW and I actually got, I thought that she was trying to open the door. That's how it started. Cause she came next to the car and she was, she was, you know, I don't know what she was doing. She had her backpack on the ground. So uh, I moved my vehicle to the other side and then she actually walked to the side of the house and she, you know, took off her job in the side of the house. Oh, so she was hiding. She was looking for a place to she, hide. She's hiding and she's hiding until the bus comes. Once the bus comes, uh, then she quickly runs, runs right, so around the corner. There, partly, then it's definitely partly the issue is that there's her house, right? Yeah. If she's hiding or from she her family, she doesn't want to see, or she does want them to see it. Yeah, yeah. Usher, ra random question. Not that you're stalking her or anything, but what, <laughs> does she do the same? Does she do the same thing on her way back from school and put the hijab on? Oh, good question. Down the street. I know that. So her bus stop, I think, is a little bit further down when they drop them off. I, I honestly don't know, but um, I would assume that it's it's probably the same. Like maybe she just 
does it somewhere else, not in front of our house? Because I get, so I get the ring no, or like the Google Nest notifications and that's how this all started. Interesting. I was like, why is there someone in my driveway? And the, it's like person detected, but if they're, if she's coming home at like, you know, three or three thirty, whatever, she's not doing it here. So I, I would assume that she would though. Yeah. Um, I feel like, oh, you know, hearing this, hearing this uh, situation, I feel like, um, at some point, like, uh, I think the larger issue, to me at least, is that, like, um, you know, she, her, um, she's afraid, there's, like, a fear of, like, um, the household or, or of, like, the home life. There's some kind of fear which is causing her to, to like, uh, um, you know, obviously we want people to wear hijab, but, like, you know, um, you know, she's, she's wearing hijab in front of her parents, and when she, you know, uh, gets out of sight of her parents, she takes off because she knows, you know, if it's the other way around, you know, she's going to get reprimanded. And for me, uh, I feel like, you know, her, her, in other words, her house is not really a, uh, it doesn't seem like it's a source of security for her or her family isn't. And yeah. at some point she may look for, she may find a space where she will find, you know, that may provide her a sense of security, regardless of whether it's, it's, uh, it's some correct or not. And, if it's not Islamically correct, then obviously, uh, you know, it's it's not going to be good for Akhra, right? So I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of times when people leave Islam or they or they're just away from religion, they find a space where they do find security. Um, so yeah. I don't know; those, those are my my thoughts. Oh, totally, totally. So I mean, just I don't know if I'm completely off base here, or I've been sort of poisoned with American sort of individualism and sort of like that, but like from a purely self-preservational standpoint, I wouldn't get involved. That's my first instinct. Yeah, I think that's valid too. Am I, am I wrong for that? I don't know. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't like. No, I, wouldn't. I think you're right. I think at least definitely for sure, Usher should not involve like some. Yeah, that's why I'm suggesting Bobby, not yeah. Usher. Usher's gonna <laughs> yeah, be like, like, you look yeah, so like... beautiful with hijab. Why you take it off? <laughs> No, so yeah, it's, I don't. It's I don't think if your wife is outside and she just like sparks up a conversation. But yeah, yeah you, you as a guy, she—that's probably like a whole other can of worms that you definitely don't want to open. So someone, someone yeah. told me to put up a no trespassing sign. <laughs> Wait, what? No. Yeah, because it's probably, it's probably like, a, it sounds like, like a, a I'll tell you put that. like a, a woman in hijab and with the thing, you know, the, the link with it. Yeah. To to sort of counter like the. You know, <laughs> I, I obviously I think the, the point about like, you know, I'm sure you're speaking to her is very valid. But I think, you know, just even having your wife speak to her, I think like just from a like a Muslim being a good neighbor perspective, I think it's something to do. Obviously, this is a situation where like, you know, it could become really crazy really quick and it might not be something, you know, either you nor your wife, like neither you know your you nor your wife want to take on. But it's something that if you see it more as, hey, I'm trying to be a good neighbor and help someone out who's a neighbor to me, you know, and it could be something that helps your Akhara. Like, you know, let's not even think about her Akhara first, you know. So I think in terms of like trying to help or get into the situation, that might be a good motivating factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's probably like the better route. Good luck. In, 
<laughs> We're all like saluting you, Godspeed, soldier. Report back to us. I'm just writing in troll comments. Send the footage anonymously to our house. Send a blackmail okay. note with the footage. There's a lot of stuff. You can... Yeah, but yeah, I don't think it's a, a problem if if Bobby goes, you know, at the end of the summer and just happens to be sitting outside drinking her chai, you know. Oh. <laughs> What is your? I don't know why she's gonna have an accent, but what is your name? How are you doing? But yeah, the risk, the risk related of the Lahi's point is, it might open a can of worms. You know, uh, it you could be discovering a huge mess. You know, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but you should not be doing this. So. <laughs> I figured it was relevant to our conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so very good, Michelle. So we talked about hope and fear. Now let's add awe. When you are imagining the day of judgment, however, you will have, I will have, a level of awe that none of us have ever experienced before, right? To the point that, I mean, my hair is already white, but you know that someone's hair is going to turn completely white. <clears throat> you are not going to care about anybody and think about that experience where you will literally care about nobody but yourself you know so think about how those of you who are parents how beloved your baby is your child is to you you're going to toss them aside you're going to push them out of the way for your own self that is very scary but there i'm suggesting the sentiment is awe like what we're speaking about here, reverence. And having said that, if you were to stand before Allah, you would have even more awe. So try to comprehend this. I'm suggesting for our consideration that the awe level you will have, that I will have on the Day of Judgment, will be one that I have never had in my life to that degree. And yet, in facing a law, the awe of a law will be even higher. Have you ever been like in one of those big churches, those big European churches where you walk in, you literally feel like you got to put your head down because of the ceiling? Or like in someone's house. I remember I went to this one person's house, actually Fazan in Vegas, not Dr. Kazi's house, but another person's house. This person is a cardiologist, lived in the same neighborhood, I think, that Mike Tyson lived in. It was a gated community where the the, the security guard had a gun. And you walk in the house and the ceiling was so huge and so elaborate as a reflex you can help but to put your head down. Yeah. And so awe can cause a reflex. Okay. So now, if you if it makes sense that the awe you will have before Allah is literally uncontrollable because of Allah's greatness right before you. Now imagine the arrogance of shaitan. Yeah that I'm suggesting it is next to impossible, if not impossible, to have anything but awe before Allah. And yet shaitan had 
arrogance before Allah. Bezan, you're about to say something. Uh, <clears throat> I was going to say, this reminds me of this ayah in Surah Al-Najm. Um, when the low tree was uh, like over, was overwhelming with with great beauty and splendor. And then the Prophet is witnessing this, uh, you know, I think between As-Samawat, As-Sabr, and, and Paradise. Uh, and then, um, like, he didn't deviate from looking left and right. Like, he was just looking in one thing and kind of reminds me of that awe that somebody yeah. would have. And they're just... Exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, perfect example. So, yeah, reflect on that both in terms of the awe that Allah will command, which will be higher than the unimaginable awe that we will have, just the experience of the Day of Judgment, especially the beginning of the Day of Judgment. And yet, try to imagine how fierce of an enemy Shaitan actually is. That he was capable of having arrogance before Allah. It didn't end there. He's literally saying to Allah, because you made this happen. Yeah. Hey, cool. Any thoughts, questions, reflections on any of this? So next week, uh, inshallah, if all plans go well, I won't be able to meet because I will be in Medina, inshallah. And inshallah. I will pray, inshallah, for all of you in, in Medina and in Makkah, inshallah. Thank you. Um, and so uh we and so we will meet inshallah in two weeks you have space in a suitcase for me uh <laughs> sure yeah. i'll wear my job everyone's gonna send you a request to bring stuff back and some miss walks please from oh sure well i got i got a, I got a, still got a box of miss walks here i'll just pretend yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i'll say i just came from adina here are some miss walks <laughs> All of those statements are true. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, there's a uh, a friend of mine uh, was being invited to this one conference that he really didn't want to go to. And he said, I will not go. I have a marriage to go to or a wedding to go to. And all the statements were true. The wedding was um, two weeks earlier. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, bro, I can't be <laughs> playing around with facts like this. But Yeah. <laughs> So all righty sorry march 13th inshallah will be our next class inshallah. inshallah and so i will have even less hair inshallah than, than i do now you know okay so we will then uh continue subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik subhanakallahumma glory to you o allah Wabihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. Wanatubu ilayk, and we turn to you. May Allah Ta'ala reward you all, inshallah. And once again, thank you for, for your generosity. Um, and yes, inshallah. So, um, all right. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum.